Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed, whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose. We talk with the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug. After working on multiple Grammy-winning records, years on the road as a national trainer with Tony Robbins, a published author, transformational speaker, and your personal Translightenment coach, I'm committed to your transformation, enlightenment, and exponential growth. And now, The Real Deal On. Before we begin, I, I must introduce our, our sponsor. Are you feeling stressed out? Perhaps overwhelmed by trepidation, stress, and anxiety? Then go ahead to guidedhypnotic.com and download your free guided hypnotic meditation. That's guidedhypnotic.com. All right. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Julio Gonzalez is a tax reform expert, advocate, and member of the Tax Reform Roundtable, playing an instrumental part with the recent Tax Reform 2.0 and the countries to work with the Senate, the House, and the administration on federal tax law. Julio founded Engineered Tax Services, Inc., ETS, becoming an engineering resource for the 1,000s or thousands, excuse me, of CPA firms nationally to provide cost segregation, research, and development tax and 179D, 45L, energy tax story services. Today, ETS is the largest, fastest growing, and most innovative engineering energy, energy rather, and specialty tax credit services firm in the country. <sighs> Cold read. Sorry. Loved a couple. Okay. No, no, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much for sharing your most valuable asset, right? Your time and, and your wisdom. Um, so right off the rip, we're so blessed to, to have you uh, as you've accomplished so much. Um, so just as a high level, um, what you do, what is so special about your, um, your tax segregation, cost segregation rather, and your tax services is really powerful. Can, can you give sort of a high level insight to what uh, you do so incredibly well? And, and also just want to add what an incredible human you are i've got to know you and you're just your huge heart and it's amazing the heart you have with the tech savvy or tax savvy uh combination there is is pretty amazing so thank you again and uh, my pleasure you awesome my pleasure well listen you know thanks for having me on i think that my goal now listen i you know afraid to say this right so I started my tax career in the 80s, right? But does it look like I did? You know, Not I don't know. Not at all, no. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, listen, when I was doing tax in the 80s and the 90s, we were doing tax credits for the Fortune 500 companies, and they had access to certain tax credits that no one else in the country had access to, right? They had access to the big, big eight accounting firms back then. We had big eight accounting firms, eight of them, and then everyone else was just the small ones, right? Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, as the big eight, we had engineers on staff, we had scientists on staff, and there are certain tax credits that in the United States reward business owners for creating employment, creating infrastructure, creating energy efficiencies. And we rewarded those Fortune 500 companies every day 
by doing these tax credits and doing engineering certifications and scientific certifications for rewarding what they were doing in the United States with the US citizens. And ultimately, what I decided to do in the 2000, 2001 exactly is say, let's give these, this, these tax credits access to the small business community. Because unfortunately back then, the CPA firms were not going to have engineering resources. They weren't going to have scientific resources, but they certainly had clients that small business owners that were creating infrastructure, creating employment in the United States, but they weren't being rewarded, right? Because their CPA firms didn't have access to these tax credits. So that's what I set off to do. Doug, I, in 2001, I said, I am going to be the resource to the CPA firm community. I'm going to bring their I'm going to give them engineering resources so they don't have to hire engineers to satisfy one client. I'm going to bring on the scientists so they don't have to hire scientists for one client that will be that partner to them. And that's what I did. So in 2001, I got on the road and probably spoke at a thousand CPA conferences, you know, every uh, couple of years. And, you know, today we're that resource to CPA firms after two decades that helps their clients with these tax credits, these small business owners that are, you know, creating infrastructure in the United States, they're buying building, they're hiring people, and they're being rewarded under our federal tax code. But now they have their CPAs have a resource in terms of an engineering resource, a scientific resource to reward them for this great activity. And so I'm thrilled to do that. We probably generate over $4 billion uh, a month in tax credits. We're the Robin Hood, right? We give back to the people. We bring them back to the employees for good activity, great U.S. activity, and um, no more important time now than this pandemic, right? So, but, right. you know, fortunately, we've created good inroads, Doug, and that's a little bit about what we do. So, thank you. What I'm hearing as to a neophyte and to like in in taxes and and the structure that you do what i also heard was when i look at it as an entrepreneur business owner and and that mindset is you saw a need that was only available to big big companies and for uh, i i guess what was your mindset when you saw that it wasn't offered to these smaller companies was that because it was just too big of a project that it wouldn't be worth it that it, you actually had to scale it in order to make it worth their while and what kind of resistance did you have as you started to create essentially a new model for people that were probably either a unaware or had some belief systems that it was only for big organizations yeah it's been a a journey of education it's really been educating CPA firms throughout the country on the available tax credits that the Fortune 500 companies have been taking advantage of for a long time, right? We always hear in the news that Netflix and Amazon, they're paying low taxes, right? But they're taking advantage of these tax credits that are available to everyone, all small business owners, but the access to them is the problem because again, you know, if a CPA firm has three clients that may have these tax benefits, it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be cost prohibitive for them to have engineers and scientists on staff. So that was really where I was trying to create the partnership where they could have that access and make sure that their one and two and three clients that they do have could take advantage of it, like all the big companies in the country. So look, we've made good inroads. 
but there's certainly a long way to go because I would share with you that 90% of all small businesses probably don't take advantage of this because you know, their CPA firms probably just don't realize that there's these tax credits and that there's the resource out there. So kudos to you for giving us the ability to get that message out to the CPA community and to the small business community so that they're hearing about it. And hopefully during this time, that's helpful information and hopefully they take advantage of the education. Absolutely, because I mean, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain. And if people aren't even aware of what opportunities are available or worse, they have an idea, but their mindset because of whatever education they've had around the cost segregation and, and all the other tax strategies that you have that they may have believed they're only for bigger organizations. What a shame that is. So, and also like as a, when I hear engineered tax services, do you feel like sometimes other CPAs or whatnot think you're a competition and they don't realize that you are actually a strategic partner? Well, yeah, I think so. Anytime you're talking to their client about, you know, tax credits and tax benefits, the initial reaction is two things from the CPA community. One, you know, is this a competitor? Two, you know, did I screw up and not tell our client something and did I miss something there? So we have to overcome those you know, objectives, those hurdles, right? But we, you know, we educate the CPA firms that one, you know, these tax laws are, you know, just really in their infancy. They're only in their uh, second decade. And also that, you know, for many, many years, there just weren't the resources available to them. So, and obviously we're no competitor because we're an engineering we're licensed engineering firm that's doing these tax benefits on behalf of their client. And really we're in, we're out, we are paid on success, right? So that's the great thing about it. We're only paid if we win and uh, right. we like that. And so we're really, once the CPA realizes that we become best friends because we enjoy that partnership and we enjoy the relationship and they enjoy having a partner like us. So it turns from adversary real quickly to you know, partnership. And actually, the, the, when you just said it, the, the kind of the aha, the light bulb went off for me when you framed it as you're an engineering firm that specializes in tax application. You're not That's a tax right. company or a tax firm or an accounting firm that specializes in engineering. Right. We don't do tax returns. We do tax credits associated with engineering certification, scientific right. certification. So we just play that niche. I mean, listen... Two decades ago, this industry didn't exist. So, you know, I created the industry and we've grown the industry and uh, it's nice to see it grow and it's nice to see it evolve. And now there's other firms in the industry as well. So it's great that we're seeing more and more people get into the business. It's, uh, it's one of those things where you gotta know engineering, you gotta know science, you gotta know medicine, you gotta know technology and ultimately you have to know tax. So, you know, it's one of those, and the hardest thing, Doug, is, you know, you listen, you can go to college for any one of those areas, but you can't go to college for all of those areas. And that's what makes it so, you know, difficult because really you have to be a licensed engineer. You have to have a strong background in tax and, um, and that has to all come together. In the eighties and nineties, you know, the big uh, accounting firms, you know, we were probably 10 million people out there in eight firms, right? But 
you know, there were a handful of us that actually went and became engineers and, you know, were those specialists for those eight firms. And then, you know, we kind of came out of there and grew the industry. So what was it like when you, so you were at a big firm and then you started your, your own, what was that like? Like, tell us about your, like one of your first clients or that leap into the unknown because you had a certain amount of security working with the fortune 500s and, and so forth. And to start, you know, paving away and just being a maverick in a new world is tremendous. What was that like for you? And, and what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome then? And how did they serve those you know, over those triumph, those triumphs? How do they serve you now? Well, you know, you're an entrepreneur as well. And I think that, um, you never forget your first client, right. you know, and uh, that's a very special moment because when you take that leap, right. And, and, you know, so I took that leap and had, I had saved $10,000 and I figured that look back then 2001, right. $10,000 went a long way. So I figured I had about a four month runway, right. I could afford my rent, gas, the car, the insurance, some food, right. And, um, and so the goal was, okay, we're going to go down this path. I got to find a client in four months. And uh, so look, you know, you're just hoping you're going out, you're traveling, you're educating, and you're hoping that that client comes. And then, you know, you know, it's always, you're at the end of the runway and you're like, oh, you know, what do I do? Go back into accounting. I have that. So I can do that. But you just try to hold out. So you get pretty desperate. Um, but fortunately, you plant enough seeds and then that one seed takes place. And, you know, I was fortunate to pick up a client right here in West Palm Beach and he wrote me a check for 6500 Doug. And I was like, all right, I got another three months. You know, so, um, <laughs> so, you know, I'll never forget getting that check. And no, go ahead. No, and, um, and then, you know, and then he said, well, let's do another project and uh, another project. And, you know, it just kind of grew from there. So, you know, it was one person back then, one check at a time. Um, but I was grateful and, uh, you know, never forget those moments. So you started out as the owner, operator, uh, admin, salesperson, everything. And how, how did you start uh, scaling and expanding? What was the, that journey like? And obviously now I believe you're nationwide, right? Yeah, nationwide. Well, it was really organic. So I got to the point where I was generating too much engineering to do the work. So I would go hire an engineer. And back then, right, 2001, you know, back, it was friends and family, right? So I'm, you know, grabbing my friends and cousins off the street, right? And saying, <laughs> here's how you do this project. And, uh, and then I was selling so much that, you know, I hired another salesperson to help me out, right? So you say, start saying, I can't do it all myself. I got to give up a salary. I got to give some commissions up to grow this. And it was really one block at a time. I mean, you know, some people, it wasn't like Amazon where it took off overnight and right. boom, you're a billion dollar company. It was really slow and gradual. It was, you know, a hundred thousand a year and then 200,000 and then a million dollars a year. And then, you know, above and beyond that. But it was, um, for us, it's been a slow organic growth, but now, we're at that stage where you can go a little quicker, right? Because now you start accumulating the capital mm -hmm. and the necessary things to, you know, do things more than organically, right? And make some acquisitions and make some strategic moves. But for us, it's uh, it's been a fun journey. 
And how has technology impacted uh, the way you do things or the opportunities? Like has technology created not only more opportunities to be more effective and you know, have that increase, but also has it created new uh, tax um, strategies because of technology changes? You know, Doug, I'm sure like most entrepreneurs, you know, especially when you start at your company, you wake up every day in fear, right? You wake up every day knowing that you came from a place of, you know, less than zero, right? And uh, you know that you're always scared to go back to less than zero. I think that's what motivates entrepreneurs every day is to work as hard as possible to, you know, get into the, oh, we've got some screen change going on there. Um, well, we, you know, <laughs> there, there we go, technology, right, Doug? How do you like that? Speaking of which, love I it. I went from Florida to, I, listen, I just traveled around the world real quickly. But listen, you know, and we're still traveling, huh? We're still traveling on its own. All right, well, listen, hopefully, Doug, we're going to fix this technology. But listen, I think the thing is here is that, is, sorry, Doug? No, no, I'm listening, yeah. Okay, that, you know, the technology really came into play with more than ever with the pandemic, right? Because when we do tax work, we're required to go on site, Doug, and uh, we're required to do inspections of the properties. And, you know, all of a sudden, you got a pandemic, people don't want to have you come on to their properties. Our engineers don't want to get on a plane. And so we're like, oh my goodness. I mean, like, you know, here we are in March thinking, what do we do? Because we've got thousands of properties to go see. We've got thousands of companies to go visit. And now how do we solve this? And um, so, you know, we, we went and kind of trademarked teleengineering. And uh, we said, all right, we're gonna solve this with technology, which has been a great thing for us. So, and for our clients, right? So we're saving them money too, but we basically told our clients, look, we have to visit the property, but there's nothing in the tax law and the federal tax code that says we can't visit it through, through technology. So mm. we'll do teleengineering. We'll, you know, you have a phone, we'll be recording and we'll go, you walk us through the facilities, you walk us through the different, uh, facilities and we'll record it and we'll watch it from, you know, our engineers will watch it online. And um, that way we don't have to come to your building and we don't have to worry about getting our engineers sick. And, and ultimately it's going to save your money. And, and we worked hard with treasury to make sure that that was going to pass, you know, the IRS inspection. And certainly they were good with it. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's, technology like you know and maybe we should have done that a long time ago Doug I mean you know this whole pandemic has forced us to a new norm but I think that new norm has been really good and uh, so you know proud of that I mean but listen we you know I never stopped waking up Doug and thinking that could I be tomorrow's taxi cab driver could I be tomorrow's blockbuster you know could I be tomorrow's Sears could I be tomorrow's Polaroid right so I think about that all the time and so we have to evolve and we have to continue to employ artificial intelligence. So now we're investing significantly in artificial intelligence so that we can do things quicker, more you know, lean, less expensive for our clients because 
you know, when I started the industry really in 2001, well, now we got a lot of people in the industry, which is a great thing. But as it matures, you know, the prices come down, right? Because you have more people out there providing the service. So you have to use technology. You have to use artificial intelligence to, you know, get your margins back in place, right? And do things better. And you have to have technology to survive these pandemics. And, you know, look, I have 18 people that all they did is go to CPA conventions all day long. So we then had to start using technology to start being in front of our clients mm. and going to online conferences, right? Mm. So technology is so critical. And we think about it every day. We have a technology committee and we talk monthly about, you know, the frontier and what that looks like for us and how we should be adjusting. Love it. Um, one thing that I, I really do like uh, appreciate about you is, is that humility and that groundedness about like, I, you know, could wake up tomorrow and it could be all gone. I got to stay ahead. Um, and that you basically, you know, you are a, you know, the, the classic hero's journey. You started with basically nothing and created such incredible opportunities and the, the people you employ and the, the companies that you help is, is tremendous. And you're doing it by staying as on the current edge or, you know, ahead of the edge on all areas. Like you're, you have that high beam look and you're willing to keep that going. Like, okay, what's, what's next? How can we, you know, circumvent whatever new challenges. And you were in many ways already prepared for the pandemic in some sense that you had already learned how to um, have remote working your teams were remotely and now you're able to use technology even more to enhance it. Um, and I just want to touch on, on one thing as well that I, I really admire about you is how much you value your, your human capital, like your staff and, and how, how great you honor them and, and treat them. And really it, it was so refreshing when we first met to hear how you, what your belief was around them and, and how much you cared for them and wanted to be sure that they were, uh, that they knew how valuable they were. Um, could you share a little bit about your, your mindset around your, your team and, and your business and how you support them? Well, you know, Doug, you know, coming from a big corporation background where you're competing against thousands of peers every year and it's really an up or out program. And so, mm -hmm. You know, it's a culture where it's, you know, every day you're just on edge. You just don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know if, you know, when you're competing with a thousand people. I mean, certainly it wasn't a culture of appreciation. It was a culture of, you know, outwork and out hustle your peers. And so, you know, that was, a, you know, it was, you know, I was young. So, you know, I enjoyed it because I was you know, working harder than my peers, but at the same time, you just always felt the stress of making sure that you beat the partner in, right. making sure that you stayed later than them. I mean, it was that real and it was that real every day and making sure that you showed up on Saturday and maybe four hours on Sunday, just so you were seen in the office and, wow. you know, out billing everyone. And um, so, you know, you come from that environment and you're like, I just don't want to go through that. You know, I don't want to have an environment like that. I didn't enjoy it, you know, I was able to succeed in it, but you know, that's just not a fun life for people. And so I, I, I think we, you kind of start with what you didn't like and, uh, and then realize that, you know, the team is so vital, right? And uh, when you're not happy at work, you know, it's, 
it's my bet that your clients aren't going to be happy, right? If your employees aren't happy, your clients aren't going to be happy. And, and that's, that's a lesson you got to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what's great about what you're doing, Doug, is, you know, giving us entrepreneurs um, kind of a group yeah. that we can kind of share ideas and learn from each other. Because when you're out there on your own as an owner, you don't have that group, right? You don't have that peer group. So it's well, nice and, that you give us that forum and that platform so we can learn from each other. I, and I appreciate that. And, and we're going to expand on that. Um, I think oftentimes there's a, a mindset. I think you're unique as well is, is that I think you, you genuinely do see opportunities and you see collaborators, not competitors um, and find ways to be sure that everyone is, is getting the best, you know, the best end of the deal, as it were, that everyone's winning. Um, was that kind of the motivation why you started your firm in the first place? Like, were you just unhappy in the corporate world and said, yeah, this is, I can make something that's going to be more ecological, more successful and better for everyone all around. You know, what happened was the impetus for this was that I had a, a death in the family and you know they indicated to me it happened in december and they indicated to me that i had no vacation time and uh, that i wasn't going to be able to go to the funeral and deal with all those things no. and i was the number one of my peers i was the number one you know person in terms of billing and uh, i just thought to myself that's crazy i understand that we get two weeks vacation but this is an extraordinary circumstance and i've certainly outbilled my peers but the rules were the rules. And uh, they said that, you know, if you went, that you basically, you know, would be leaving your job. And, uh, and then that would be a black mark for you because then, you know, the other big firms would, would see that. Right. And so you were like, you know, so I just felt that that wasn't the, uh, the right thing to do. And uh, it was a tough decision, a tough decision because it forced me to go to plan B, which is, Okay, I've kind of abandoned the ship, I guess. They saw, they said I did, and yeah. that wasn't going to pave the way for me to get a good interview. So you go to Plan B, and you just hope that uh, Plan B works out because you certainly, you know, at that point, I just figured I was more valuable than that, and uh, I felt like I brought tremendous value to the firm. And you know, I realized at the end of the day, you know, even those extra few days was uh, not an option. I wasn't that valuable to them. Right. Wow. So how were you entrepreneurial before leaving? Like, how did you change? Because it's a different mindset, like being a, you know, a, a nine to fiver versus an entrepreneur and, and having to be the self-starter and, and all that. How, how did you adopt? Was it a natural progression for you? Or did you notice some other patterns like, oh, I got to change that mindset? You know, it's really a scary, and I think back to it, you know, and uh, so now at first I was like, okay, well, I can't get back into the industry because, you know, it's just going to be difficult because, you know, I left, you know, one company, right, because of the uh, issues. So, you know, I kind of felt, okay, well, maybe it's time to transition. I, I remember, Doug, I went to say, okay, I'm going to go work at the vitamin shop. I'll go work at the gym. I'll do whatever I can to kind of just keep things going and figure it out along the way, and then eventually I'll find a, you know, CPA firm to get back into. And, you know, it was the, the, you know, back then it was, okay, well, you're overqualified. I mean, you know, why are we going to hire a tax expert to, 
you know, sell vitamins. And so right. I couldn't even get the, you know, $4 hour job back then. And so I just, I guess it was desperation. No, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I didn't come from an entrepreneur family, but I just thought I got to do something. It was desperation for sure. And, uh, but I knew I had the expertise right. and I figured, you know, why, why not give it a shot? And um, so, I, you know, I guess just luck really. Well, clearly you you had more than luck on your side because you had some incredible work ethic. You had already a top earner and top biller where you were, so you knew how to get things done. Yeah. So what, what were some of the lessons or distinctions you made early on that helped propel you to, to the point you are now? Do you remember any aha moments or distinctions like, oh, okay, I see how this is going to be a, a valuable effort? Well, you know, it's just, you know, back then we didn't, you know, and again, 2001, right? We just, the internet wasn't that tremendous resource that it is today. Mm. So, you know, when I was driving to these conferences, driving to these CPA programs, I, I, I realized that, you know, the, the, the feedback I was getting was that this could be viable but getting from viable to actually getting a product and a work when the CPA firms are, you know, trying to figure out what this tax law is that they're not aware of. And, you know, again, back then doing tax law research is a little different than it is today. So, but the aha moments were, you know, just having those conversations with people and realizing that there's something here if I stay at it and work hard at it. So a lot of it was just the persistence and, and determination to succeed. Doug, back then, my goal every day was to dial 100 CPA firms. And if I wasn't calling 100 CPA firms a day, which back then, you know, was the yellow pages, right? Yep. Um, and then other resources. Uh, then it was, you know, going to find, find places where they were meeting for education and things like that. Wow. That's, and I think it's really instructive because I think sometimes people, they may see you and, and your firm's success. And at this stage, it, it, you know, you've created such incredible momentum and connections and resources that, you know, you make it look easy. And I think people forget that, you know, you're the guy dialing a hundred calls, you know, a hundred people a day and, and getting those rejections and having to drive and do the, you know, basically you were doing everything, um, which obviously affords you the opportunity now to know what it takes and how to hire the right people and have the right sort of empathy for the people who are hustling, you know, when they're hustling, you know how hard it is. So you're able to reward them appropriately, which is, you know, tremendous, but you also know how to keep them, you know, on the right mindset. I've done everything <laughs> in this company, right? I've done the engineering work. I've done the R&D work. I've done the cost segregation work. I've sold it, right? I've done the marketing. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, it's a puzzle every morning, right? It's, uh, uh, and especially we're going through the pandemic. So every day is a new puzzle. You know, we're trying to figure out how to use LinkedIn and others, mm -hmm. you know, social media, because before we would just get on the road and, uh, you know, Again, like you said, had to go, everyone had to move home and work from home. And we had to pivot to doing that real quickly, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so, and what's next, Doug? I mean, I don't know what the next thing is. I, you know, I always thought to myself when we had 9-11 that, um, you know, 
you know, those are the kind of things that could hurt small business. Right. Those are the kind of things that can bring down our economy. And if those things don't happen, you know, we'll have a, a good decade and, you know, we'll continue to grow. And then boom, the pandemic hits. And then, you know, and then it persists, right? We're thinking maybe this will be over in a month. Maybe it'll be over in three months, right? And maybe we'll be behind this, but it's still here yeah. and we're still pivoting and we're seeing things come back to normal, but certainly people aren't traveling. We're not going to Vegas conferences. We're not going to conferences across the country. We're right. still doing a lot of tele-engineering as well. So, so then, you know, we have to figure out every day, Doug, all right, if our market share isn't going to come from our traditional resources, how do we do that? And now people are going to get Zoom fatigue, right? And Zoom conference fatigue. So what are we going to do to go around that? I mean, you know, it's constantly, you know, waking up every day and, uh, you know, trying to figure out new ways. And when you're doing that, are you communicating with some of the other providers, uh, like the the conference, uh, the people who put on the events and, and all of that? Like how, because they, they would be your strategic partner. What have you noticed what they're saying as far as doing events? Are they looking at maybe doing smaller events regionally or like what is the, the area of opportunity do you see for that? Because yeah, the marketing is everything. And if that was a strategy, I mean, there's businesses revolving around that strategy as well. So they are looking for new ways. Well, you know, I've been surprised, Doug. I mean, you know, my sales team comes back to me and they're doing these webinars and they're getting strong attendance. Now, these are the conferences we were going to but the conferences pivoted and said hey listen don't don't ask for a refund we'll take this online and i was thinking to myself how well would that work and how long well will that work right but my sales team has been having so much success more success than when even when they were live you know going there right. and uh and they're not seeing the drop off they're not seeing the fatigue um they're having tremendous success and i'm you know, I'm so thankful. I'm so surprised. You know, I don't know how long that'll last. I don't know how long the new norm would last. And, uh, you know, and, and then you're worried, Doug, is every business going to, you know, close and need tax credits, right? right. For us to, you know, continue to grow, we got to make sure the small businesses are staying alive. And we see that, right? We see 40 million people unemployed. We see, you know, 30% of small businesses filing for bankruptcy. So, you know, but fortunately, we're seeing that tide change a little bit. And, uh, you know, so that's a good thing, too. Well, and so let's, you know, kind of take that to that next conversation. How did you take what you're doing to then be so aligned with the, the government, you know, and help with the tax reform and, and all of those situations? And then obviously, we'll, you know, talk about the HEROES Act and, and all of that that you're working on. But I mean, how did you make that transition? That's, that's, I mean, that's huge. Well, you know, when you're in business, you know this, Doug, right? The, the government's your partner, right? You know, and because we pay taxes to them. And so you want that partnership to be a good one. And, you know, fortunate to have some expertise in tax and have the uh, people in DC acknowledge that and ask me to help out on, you know, tax reform and tax law. And so, you know, I've been spending a lot of time, not so much lately, but a lot of my time in DC, but now, you know, over the phone and, you know, through technology, but working with Congress, working with administration, working with Treasury on tax law to help 
the uh, country. You know, we we thought it was important, Doug, that you know the tax rate for small businesses in 2000. Well, for the decades leading up to 2017, it was 35 percent, and then tax reform, we dropped it to 21 percent. Now. I know a lot of people, you know, 50% of the people in the world are going to like it and 50% of the people are not going to like it. But, you know, our, paying it didn't like it and the ones who were paying it did. Yeah, right. But, but here, here's what I, I tell everyone, and I think this is a simple explanation. You know, when you're in business, all right, Doug, and say your tax rate as a business owner goes from 35% to 21%, and now on that million dollars, you kept an additional $140,000 in, in profit. It stayed in your pocket because the tax rates were 14% lower. So, you know, half, again, half the people are going to say, wow, you know, that Doug just benefited from that, not the country, right? And, uh, but that's not the case because really what happens, and this is why our economy was doing so well, Doug, is that you take that $140,000 and it doesn't go under your mattress, right? It doesn't go under your pillow, right? You Invest. do something with $140,000, you maybe put it in the bank and then the bank lends it out. And so the bank pays you know, taxes on interest income that it pays. And the small business that's borrowing that money pays taxes on that. And they go and buy equipment and pay taxes, sales tax on that. And then you take some of that money and you put it in the stock market. And so now you're paying dividend tax and those companies are growing and pay taxes as well. And then, you know, maybe some of it that's left over, you buy a house. Well, now you get real estate taxes mm -hmm. and you've got taxes associated with owning real estate. And then you hire another couple of employees because you have some money left over and you're going to invest in you, which is the best investment you can make. And now you got payroll tax and you got Medicaid and Medicare and, you know, you have all the taxes associated with that. But ultimately that $140,000 just didn't go to Doug. It went throughout the country. And though, mm -hmm. and so I think, Doug, that's why we saw money go up to the uh, more taxes being paid into the IRS because it was just getting paid, you know, it was working its way around and everywhere along the way, someone was paying taxes on it. But the GDP was growing, employment was at its all time low. And I think that, you know, so again, I think tax policy is important and uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be part of that and make sure that we're doing things that help the small businesses, help the individuals. Now, not everyone's going to agree, but, you know, I'm a math guy, Doug, so the numbers, the numbers don't know, talk for themselves, right? Well, and especially since we saw the results. I mean, everyone experienced it. So it's, it's not even like theory. It's, it's not a hypothesis. It was initiated and the outcomes happened. Uh, yeah. What do you see happening now? Um, is there is there going to be a way out? I mean, you've seen all of this, you know, now back to numbers, all of this new debt and, the, you know, the different the EDLs and the PPP and all these grants and loans and, and mm -hmm. all of that, which could possibly be defaulted on if things don't turn around. You know, where are, how, how exposed are we as a, a nation or as an economy uh, at this point? Yeah, I think the guess there was it, right? So that was bipartisan. It got passed by both House and the Senate mm -hmm. and signed off by the administration. So they all came together and agreed on the, uh, the program under the CARES Act. And I think, Doug, I think the thinking there was, we have two evils. You know, one is 
not do anything, not increase our debt and see more and more companies go bankrupt. So do we want that evil or do we want to have more debt, but hopefully that debt is a good investment, more businesses stay open and those businesses get back on their feet again, grow and pay taxes and pay that debt back to society. And so really, I mean, they were at a crossroads and uh, I think they bet that this debt that they were creating would be a good investment for the country. And I think you see in the employment numbers, although we continue to see unemployment filing, that employment's going up. And, uh, and so I think they feel that that investment, although it was a lot of debt, was probably the best of the two evils. Right. No, and I don't disagree. I'm, I'm like you, I think, you know, we're all sort of uh, curious about, you know, how long is this going to last? When can we start, you know, and when we say normal, not even talking about the, you know, masks or all those other issues, but actually people working full time businesses, you know, kind of coming back and not, you know, going under because it's not sustainable if, if we keep this going for, you know, it's, it's amazing that it's July right now. And it's been going on since March. I know. Listen, I think we're all happy about the news today that we finally got some of these trial drugs into phase three, you know, phase mm -hmm. one, phase two, those are where it's really experimental. But once you get into phase three, that means you're winning, you're getting good right. results. And then you're kind of getting to finally more human applications. And uh, so I, I think the world responded well to that this morning. And uh, so listen, I, I know that we're just going to figure out a way like we did with 9-11, like we did mm -hmm. with the Great Depression. We're going to figure this out. Smallpox, right? We uh, had that and that was just as bad back in the day. So, um, you know, look, I appreciate what you're doing, Doug, and I appreciate you having me on and, and getting the education out there. I think it's vital. Absolutely. Thank you. So share about uh, the HEROES Act and, and what opportunities are, are there that you had uh, started to mention earlier. Well, again, there, the HEROES Act is basically the next step to the CARES Act, which the CARES Act was betting that the virus, the pandemic would subside by midsummer, right? And clearly that didn't happen. So the HEROES Act is phase two that really says, yeah, we got to get through a few more months until we get this cured. And so now it's a bipartisan bill that's going to have to get passed. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, what, what is going to be in that bill? I think it's going to focus on tax credits that get people back to work. I think it's going to focus on tax credits that reward people to start traveling again. Mm -hmm. You're talking about an $8,000 family tax credit that, you know, is used to travel and spend money on hotels and restaurants, mm. you know, outside of a hundred miles where you live. So look, I think those are the kind of things that you're going to see things that they think that will be good investments to spur activity in the industries like the airlines, the hotel industry, the restaurant industries that have been so heavily hit, you know, give some protection to real estate owners that aren't getting payments, you know, rents aren't getting paid and, um, do some programs there. So I think it's gonna focus on the hardest hit areas. It's gonna focus on maybe one more stimulus check to the uh, people. And I think the hope is by the time that investment is in place that we're getting close to the end of this. Right, I do hope so. Uh, touching back a little bit to what you had shared as far as um, 
the the travel oh. and uh, conferences. Uh, our friend um, Scott Klosowski, uh, had he was on the show yesterday or the day before. And as a speaker, we're, you know, we're all speakers here. One of the things that we do love to do, though, like, we, you know, the, the virtual stuff is, is fine and great and, and we can touch people. But really, there is that necessity of the, the, the travel, the, you know, there is the, the belly to belly meeting, talking, having a dinner, you know, just kind of connecting on a, a more human level and a more intimate level that is sorely missed in many respects. And uh, I think that's great that part of that will be because I think there's still a, a desire and a need for travel for conferences live and and while we're going to hybrid and we're going to include technology um I, i'm i'm eager to get back out on the the road speaking again and and being in front of people because it's really powerful so that's encouraging to hear that even that's a thought for even families to get out and travel and and so forth and and inspire that we need that human connection and yeah. um, so, Doug, I appreciate I getting ready to go on. A, oh, right. Yes, a, of course. A call with the uh, DC people. But uh, thank you. you for having me on. Thank it's been you. It's a real honor. How can anyone, if they want to get in touch with uh, Engineer Tax Services, uh, just is it engineertaxservices.com? Yeah, that's it. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Julio Gonzalez, and on Twitter at taxreformexpert.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing you, your wisdom. Uh, I love you guys for who you are and who you aren't. And we will see you guys very soon. All right. My <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.